Welcome to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver. Do you want to maybe get in the left lane? I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapist, expressive arts therapist, your mechanic. You're back in the driver's seat, listener. Get ready for a bumpy ride. Today's quote is by Martha Grover. I asked my father to read an article about male entitlement and emotional labor. Can you just tell me what it says? He says. Last week, we talked about divorce, ways it goes poorly, and also ways it can go well. This week, I asked the navigator and the mechanic if we could talk about emotional labor. We said yes. They were very kind and agreed to talk about it. It's something that I've had conversations about with several of my friends, and I think it's really interesting. And then I did some research on it for this episode, and I learned a bunch of stuff, which I thought was pretty cool. So, Ben, what did you learn about emotional labor? So, I had a notion about what it meant, and I googled it, and I wasn't wrong per se, but the original definition is different than I thought. So the original term emotional labor was actually coined by a sociologist named Arlie Hochschild in a 1983 book called The Managed Heart, Commercialization of Human Feeling. And what she was referring to there is a situation like being a server at a restaurant where you're expected to maintain a certain emotional state, usually positive, despite your environment. If you're a server at a restaurant, for instance, and your uh, table is being extremely rude to you, it's generally expected that you are still nice to them. And she's talking about the effort, the work that it takes to hold yourself in a an outwardly positive state, even when your environment maybe isn't positive. So I thought that was pretty interesting, really talking specifically about labor, a job environment. And then I found another definition that was more along the lines of the work of aiding a friend or someone who's in crisis. If your friend calls you and says, I've had this terrible day, I really need to talk to someone, it takes a lot of energy to listen to that story and be present for that person. And it's important, but it's also exhausting. I think Don and Kim can probably attest to that. Absolutely. So you build up chops to be able to do eight hours of listening to people. And I love it because of the possibility for change and it's work. Yeah. It well, is literally your job. As the introvert doing this, I hit the weekend and I'm like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm done with this. Don't talk to me about anything happening in your life. And that's one of the side effects of, of being a therapist is that you absorb and contain often negative emotions all week long. And then it's like, I got to drain this stuff off. You, we could almost say that the origin of Don's infamous, I have no friends mantra <laughs> is the emotional labor that he does in his day-to-day -day work. So both of those definitions are really interesting. And 
neither was the one that I was looking for. I was actually curious about what I would call the invisible labor of how things get done in a household. Kind of chores, but more the, I don't know, the work behind the chores, if that makes sense. Ben, what do you mean how things get done? One example, I talked with my wife, Sarah, about this. And one example we came up with that does not apply to my (laughs) and Kim's childhood, but... (laughs) If your parents are packing lunches for the kids every day and maybe the dad is packing the lunches and just kind of does that and moves on with his day, but maybe he doesn't do that great a job of it. He gets the job done, but he's just kind of throwing stuff in the lunch bag. But the mom maybe knows what the kids like, you know, how to pack it so the apple doesn't squish the peanut butter and jelly, you know, when to put everything in the bag so it's still in good shape when you get to lunchtime at school, that would be the emotional labor of it, like understanding the intricacies of it, not just getting the job done. Well, understanding the personal quality, right? So Ben likes these things, Kim likes those things, and putting the right things in each bag instead of just uniform, both of you get whatever I give you. Doing it with intention. Yeah. Well, I think that was very unique to our childhood of getting what we wanted rather than what was available. (laughs) And it, you know, it's the kind of thing where it often defaults to women in straight couples. There's a lot of, I'm sure there are technical terms for this that Don and Kim can give us, but there's a lot of like, oh, you know, she just knows how to do that better kind of stuff. That's called male helplessness. And, And the thing that frustrates me about it is sometimes these men are very good at emotional labor at work. They manage Mm. customers, they deal with um, sales, they deal with employees, handle it beautifully, but they don't bring that skill home. And if at work they were challenged with, here's a new task, they would go research it and figure it out. At home, it's like, well, I just don't know how to do that. So well, that's it. that's really interesting, actually. You brought up those examples. So dealing with client, like a difficult client at work, would be more along the lines of the original definition. But are you f- saying or thinking that they are related? Yeah, the skills that you would use to handle a disgruntled customer in a retail store, those set yeah. of skills are the same ones that you can use in a conflict with your spouse. Yeah, but... Are you well, and that's if you're having the conflict about it. A lot of the problem with this is that nobody talks about it. So I I guess to me, the difference is they are definitely related, but the difference is that part of the problem with it within the household is noticing that it's a problem in the first place. With the disgruntled client, they're complaining to you, and it's your job to deal with that. And so there's sort of a uh, formalization of it, I guess. That maybe makes it more obvious to, again, stereotypically men, I guess. Well, and that, I think okay, well, I have to deal with this. We talked about this in season one about the don't know, don't care mm-hmm. type situation. And I feel this, like that yeah. falls in a lot of, oh, I did the thing. I don't know how to do it in this specific way. I don't really care to do it. I did the thing. Yeah, that comes back to what I was saying about intention. This is very much, you're exactly right, Kim. This is very much a like, don't know, don't care mentality in the household. And that's kind of the type of emotional labor that that I was interested in exploring on this episode. And I guess what I'm pointing at is that a lot of these men who are playing male helplessness are not helpless. 
right, at all. Right. Yeah. They would know how to develop the skill at work. They just don't apply that same curiosity, desire to excel at home. And that's the caring part. They care about their job, so they pay attention and they do things that they need mm -hmm. to get done. And right. for whatever reason, they've chosen not to care about their household or they don't think it's their responsibility to care. And so they ignore it until the nasty divorce and they have to do it because no one else is there. <laughs> well, as, as we said in the last episode, when you get divorced, you don't solve any of those problems. You just take them to somewhere else. So along these same lines, what are some common pitfalls that get us into this situation of male helplessness or let's not say it's always men just not that recognizing not men. i don't know i hope not well, God. no but just like so i mean one of the things is this can apply to any yes. i mean we're kind of specifying a like a shared household but it could be roommates it could be friends it could be a spouse it could be domestic partner i mean anybody that you are sharing a household with where things need to get done and it's not necessarily gender specific. We are giving what is more common. And a lot of the, I mean, I'm, for me coming to it, a lot of the conversations I've had about it are specific to men in straight relationships dropping the ball on this particular type of effort and, and labor. Well, mm -hmm. and I think the ball gets dropped most frequently when you assume that your partner doesn't mind doing something because they do it. And you've never had a conversation about it. And I'll go one step farther. And you don't want to have a conversation about it <laughs> because you might have to start doing it. Fair point. Yeah. Trying to avoid work. And, mm -hmm. and then it just doesn't come up. And in, in talking to friends of mine, that's it's a recurring theme that, oh, we like don't talk about this thing. And why don't we talk about it? And it leads to that. What I like to call, I'm going to say this as if I've said it before, what I like to call the big R, resentment, resentment. <laughs> which is never a thing I've said on this show before, but now we will know it as the big R. <laughs> but no, I mean, that is like one of the worst things to have happen in your relationship. It's also a great warning sign. If you're starting to have resentment, that means this issue needs to be talked about. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're not always going to be able to tie a direct line to, oh, I noticed some resentment. It must be the trash. <laughs> well, so recognize, the trash? recognize your emotional reaction to it. If you are in the kitchen and you see dirty dishes and you go, more dirty dishes. All right. Some resentment is building there. Whereas if you turn around and you're like, oh, trash has got to go out. All right. The dishes are more frustrating to you than the trash is. Sure. And to be clear, this isn't, oh, more dirty dishes. How come my partner hasn't cleaned these? It's, <laughs> well, I guess you mean the other person who normally cleans the dishes is saying, Yes. Okay, so wait, the person. I, got confu I confused myself. <laughs> when you're <laughs> recognizing oh, no. resentment within yourself, if you are typically the person doing the dishes, and right. Then you would resent the other person that the dishes right, are always because dirty. you turn around and go, there are more dishes and get frustrated and they're but, not helping. Right. And, and that's even one of the words that's a problem. They're not helping. It's not a matter of helping. Like it's your responsibility. And because I just feel like it, I'm going to come help you. The house belongs to both partners, all of it, every part of it. 
the yard, the inside, the cooking, the cleaning, the, all the rest of it, it belongs to both of you. You may divide the labor in ways that fit with what you like and don't like. At the end of the day, though, all of it belongs to you. Just like when you're at work, your job belongs to you, even though you interact with lots of other people. Yeah. And we're going to talk more about balancing it in just a second, but that's absolutely right. It, it all has to get done and mm -hmm. you can divide it up however you want, as long as you're doing it with intent instead of by default and without talking about it. An Im important question or not that an important conversation to have is the understanding of what cleanliness, since we're talking about that a lot, looks like and what it should be. So what does the clean kitchen look like to one partner? And is that the same for the other person? Yeah. And uh, managing expectations is another big thing we've talked about on the show, but is a big part of this emotional labor as well. If you have very different expectations about whatever the thing is, uh, how it should be, and you don't communicate what your expectations are, then you have the same problem. One, one person is going to be doing more work than the other to try to maintain this expectation. And you remember that you developed that expectation growing up in your family who did it one way. Your partner's family may have done it another way that was equally as successful, just different. Yeah. Yeah. Don has a great story about kitchen cleaning. Are you wanting me to tell that story at this point? You can if you want to. It sounded like it. Story well, time with Don, a new segment <laughs> of a relationship road trip. So early on uh, in our marriage... Mama hadn't gotten a job yet. I was in graduate school. She was looking for work. So she would try and do lots of stuff around the house so that when I came home, I could study. We could have time together, that kind of thing. One of the things she did was clean up the kitchen. And when she cleaned up the kitchen, she would leave dishes in a dish rack. She would leave stuff on the counters. I would come in after her and put all those things in cabinets, leaving the counters clean, right? Dry off the dishes, put them in the cabinets, all the rest of that stuff. So she started, she didn't talk to me about this, but she started to build resentment, the big R, because it seemed like I was correcting her over and over again. Were you simultaneously building resentment, resentment because it seemed like she wasn't cleaning the kitchen fully? Yes, but not as fast as she was building it. No, but I wanted to point it out because I think that is an interesting, it's not always like a one way thing. Again, right. if you don't communicate that expectation, you could both be resenting each other for doing different versions of the same thing, Yes, which really sounds like a lose-lose situation. Like, how can anybody ever figure this out? But the cool thing, it's not that hard. You just well, have to talk about it. You have to communicate. Sure. But when the communication starts off, when the resentment pops like a zit. <laughs> That's true. It's hard right. after resentment. It's much easier if you bring it out in the open and have the conversation before anybody is feeling particularly upset. Sure. And you don't attribute things like you don't love me because you do whatever, which is how that fight kind of evolved. And the reason is that when I grew up in a house, we had a small kitchen. We had lots of people because we would sponsor families immigrating to the United States from Brazil. So there were a lot of people. So you had to clear the counters before the next meal was going to be prepared. So everything had to be dried and put away and the dish rack went under the sink and all the rest of that stuff. That's what should happen for a clean kitchen because that's how I grew up. Right. She grew up in a, a four-person family, so leaving the dishes in the dish rack to put them away 
the next day was absolutely fine. No big deal. Just an interesting difference in perspective that clashed because we didn't talk about it. And the resolution was thinking about how will we do this? And she laid down quickly, we are not sponsoring families coming in from Brazil. <laughs> I was going to say, did you settle on leaving the dishes in the dish rack or drying them off? I was going to say, we uh, grew up with a dish rack, so. We sure yeah. did. How yep. about that? Although, I mean, I don't know, y'all clean the kitchen pretty thoroughly every night. That is correct. I don't know. You're very, you have a lot of expectations about kitchen cleaning. One of them is that we have to be serenaded by Ben on the piano whenever we clean the kitchen. That was only, <sighs> that was a specific thing. I ended up cleaning the dishes with mama all the time. It was yes. later. <laughs> it was after my period of being the bard of the household. <laughs> yes. You need entertainment to wash dishes. Everyone knows this. <laughs> and now I am, I am the dishwasher in this household. In my household with Sarah is what I'm referring to. I, mm -hmm. I clean all the dishes. In fact, right after this, I'm going to go clean some more dishes. I cleaned dishes earlier today. I'm going to clean some more later. I too am the dishwasher of my household. I'm also <laughs> the chef of my the household. Chef and the sous chef and, and the, the baker. I am all of the things you of do my one laundry. person. One but person you, household. And that's actually a thing to recognize in this. Your household belongs to you, Kim. But when you share your life with someone... Your household belongs to us, right? Both well, of no, us. No, it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me and my. The thing is, if you're out there and you kind of recognize, I don't do a lot of the stuff inside the house to accomplish stuff because I don't know how. Dude, you got YouTube. You can learn anything. <laughs> There's actually a really great YouTuber who is older adult he's a senior citizen who My teaches age. adulting classes of how to sew a button how to change a tire and he's created this really big youtube following because there are a lot of people who didn't learn this growing up which is acceptable it's the desire to learn it that's important the thing that i think is wrong is continuing to ignore it ineffective in okay effect. ineffective that's fair listen i am not a um scientist or a professional or a licensed person at all. So I am allowed to pass judgment on others. No, <laughs> no you're not. I think it's wrong. <laughs> no, you're not. The okay. thing that's ineffective in your relationship is choosing not to engage in this conversation, to learn how to do it and learn how to do it in a way that fits for the relationship you're in. Mm -hmm. That whole, you know how to do this better than me. So just do it. Right. That's not effective in your relationship. Sure. And also to be willing to allow your partner to do it differently than you do. And that's correct, too, because that's the other side of this. So, so often, again, the traditional male female role in a household, the male tries to do something but doesn't get it right. This actually happened with you, Ben, when you were an infant. I tried something and I got it wrong. A lot of things you got wrong. I was changing your diaper, which I had done lots before you ever came into the world. But I was going to change your diaper and I did it differently than mama did. And so she stepped in and took over to mm. show me how to do it right. Which is ineffective in a number of different ways. <laughs> yes. Lots. Because because you're not really learning. You don't necessarily understand. She's not communicating why she's stepping in. Mm -hmm. And so it, it pushes you towards that classic male incompetence where you're like, well, okay, she just did it. So mm -hmm. like, I guess I don't 
know how to do this and I don't need to know how to do this, but that's not, that's ineffective. And so this is, I mean, this is a communication thing, ideal to have a conversation about it. Right. It, it's disrespectful as, as everyone has already noticed. And a more respectful way is to say, I notice you're changing the diaper this way. You know, tell me about your process because it's different than mine. Now, I think while you handle a naked squirming baby, <laughs> that was me imitating myself as an infant. It's a hundred percent authentic. Actually, um, you were easily distracted. It's still true. I'm not surprised. <laughs> so by nothing that one. has changed. I just have a big beard now, but I'm still a baby. <laughs> I got a question for our, our listeners. I'm sorry, as our listeners, then I, in my back in my role as the backseat driver, how do you say something like that without sounding a bit passive aggressive? Because I know you, Don, are always 100% authentic in everything you say. So when you ask, I noticed you did this differently. How or why are you doing it this way? I feel like if I were to say that with my sarcastic voice, the person I'm asking would be like, excuse me. Well, step one, don't use your sarcastic voice. Right. I mean, do I have another one? Well, yes, Maybe. you do. So recognize that I was, I am as sarcastic as any other human being. And I can be as disrespectful and perhaps more disrespectful than most people out there. I've practiced really recognizing I don't know everything. And there may be a different way to do something that's equally good. That gentle curiosity that we talk about a lot. Yes, that's exactly yeah. it. I was going to say, we've talked understand. about this before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, that well, takes practice. Gentle and can I add genuine curiosity, truly wondering about the way a thing is done or the world. Mm -hmm. For couples where it might come across uh, as sarcastic or they're new to developing this type of communication, prefacing it with, hey, I want to talk about changing the diaper introducing the subject before introducing your questions about it. So that way your partner can be prepared for, all right, we're going to talk about changing the diaper for the kids, what's going on, and making sure that they have the time and the mindset to be able to sit down and have a conversation with you. Because mm -hmm. you want a conversation, you don't want a fight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Kim, what you just described is, is providing context so the other person can join you in your thoughts. So we kind of slip and slide, slip and slid, eased our way into the resolution of this conversation. How do we balance this? How do we talk about it? But we kind of have already moved into that. But to get more into it, we've already talked about communication. We just talked about some great ways to bring your partner into the conversation with you and to truly bring gentle and genuine curiosity so that you're not coming across as sarcastic when you ask about why are you doing this differently than me? How else can we balance this in a relationship? Well, recognizing the strengths of different partners. So if one person is really good at cooking and enjoys cooking, perhaps they take on the majority of the cooking. Not all. Give each other breaks. If the other person, well, if one person's cooking, usually the balance there is that the other partner washes the dishes. But it doesn't have to be. That's been the case in our family. I mean, to be clear, that's absolutely how Sarah and I do it. She does 99% of all cooking in this household. And I do almost all of the cleaning of dishes. But you could absolutely have a balance if that doesn't work for you. Just to brainstorm here for any curious listeners out there where you, one of you does, you know, like the chopping and prep, the sous chef type stuff, if you will, 
and the other does the more like meal plan cooking part. And then you both clean, or maybe one of you washes the dishes, the other rinses, or wash, rinse, and the other person dries. Or maybe there's four of you and you can really divide the labor. I don't know. And while we're talking about that, I want to raise that like meal planning and prep is one that I think about personally a lot because Sarah and I talk about this and I've mentioned it before on the show. This is one where I fall down a lot. I don't think about it and it, it takes time to decide what are we going to eat this next week. And also to think about, oh, I've got a big meeting on Wednesday. I'm probably not going to want to cook an elaborate hour and a half long meal after work that day. Oh, we've got this other event on our calendar. We should plan to get takeout. Like there's a lot of planning and weekly sort of maintenance into that. That is very much an emotional labor thing. It's kind of air quotes invisible if you're not paying attention to it. So anyway, sorry, I I went off on a... A rant, but no, uh, there's lots of ways to divide up the labor. It doesn't have right. to be. And I forget about these things because I hate doing the dishes. So I'm like, if I cooked, wash my dishes for me because good Lord, I hate washing dishes. I'm forever blessed with my dishwasher, the machine, <laughs> not a human. If I had oh. a human, that would be great too. But Oh, there's the other cooking example, Don, from our childhood where Mama Janice did a lot of the weekday cooking, but you often took over cooking on the weekends to give her a break. Mm -hmm. So she didn't have to do that as much. And when you cooked on the weekends, you would often make something big that would serve at least as leftover lunches for you during the week. I don't, Mm -hmm. a lot of times you were still making sandwiches and stuff for Kim and I, but that said, like that's another kind of intricacy to that balance where one partner is cooking your weekday meals and the others cooking the weekend. So they have a little bit of a break there. That's nice. Well, sure. let's be honest. Don doesn't know how to cook a small meal. Grew Again, playing to, playing to strengths. <laughs> and mama so, can put something on the table in half an hour flat, which is impressive to me to this day. And the other part was the, the when I made large meals, you might you guys might have eaten that for dinner a couple of nights in a row. Yeah, if you knew mama had a particularly busy week. Yeah. Which is another, oh, that's another one of our how to balance this is being flexible. Just pay, I mean, again, it comes down to attention. You got to care. You got to mm-hmm. pay attention to what's going on in the house. And communicate. And, and if it helps to think of the, the work examples, like Don was saying towards the top of the episode, if you have a coworker who's going on vacation, you're going to help pick up some of that work so that your team gets the job done. It still has to get done. There's still mm-hmm. a deadline and people have to go on vacation or maybe they get sick. And you absolutely pivot to take on other tasks or shift work around in a work environment to cover that. So why wouldn't you do the same thing for your roommates or your partner in a household? And and think about bringing the skills that you use for emotional management of difficult situations or charged situations at work. If you have skills at doing that, bring that home. Bring the customer service voice home. Yeah, seriously. I don't, don't know if do you should that. use a customer service voice on your significant other. You can don't try it. If you, uh, listener, if you try that, uh, write in, let us know how it goes. <laughs> well, so it's, you don't have to use the customer service voice, but think about the skill that it takes. I'm going to use airline attendants that are at the gate. A flight has been canceled and there's a line of 30, 50, 90 people who need to be rescheduled. And you're trying to go as fast as you can. Somebody comes up and they're really upset and you soften their mood by the way that you react with them. You get training on that when you're a a flight attendant so that when you're at the gate, you have 
better ability to manage these pretty hostile people. If you have that skill, bring it home. In my time in retail, I feel like the number one thing I, I deliberately practiced and thought about was, I don't know, I don't think we got any official training on it. It's kind of just my intuition, I feel. And you guys will know the term for this. Like we, we talking team focused talking, because mm -hmm. when you have somebody who's adversarial to you and you have to help them anyway, getting them to look at the problem. Oh, what mama was talking about on our, Janice mama was talking about on our episode uh, a couple weeks ago, looking at the problem from the same side of the table instead of opposing sides, even if you don't agree. And one of the ways you can do that with somebody who maybe isn't your, as close to you is to always use we when you're talking about the thing, you know, we're going to figure this out together. It was, I worked at the paint desk at, at Lowe's. Mm -hmm. And so it was usually somebody who had brought in a very strange color of paint and desperately wanted it matched and maybe didn't have enough of a sample to get a good color match. We'd be working on that one together for a little while. Oh, maybe it needs to be a little pinker. Maybe it should be browner. I don't know. We'll figure it out together. Yeah, there, there was not collaborative working at Starbucks. They can't help me make their coffee. And they can't help me make the paint either. They can't help me make the paint. But we can talk about it as if they can. <laughs> Well, and, and you're talking about de-escalation tools, right? So if something is starting to escalate, how do you de-escalate? And you can do that verbally. You know, it doesn't have to be through violence. <laughs> that yeah, was I hope not. <laughs> it took a real turn there. Well, what I was thinking about is one of the things folks are talking about is providing more training for police officers in de-escalation rather mm. than the physical altercation. A really good question that I use for a lot of people, and I, I work with a lot of kids, is, hey, what's going on? What's wrong with you? you okay? <laughs> what's going on? And how's what's that working for there? you? <laughs> You're looking really messed up over there. How's it working for you is only for my sassy teenagers who know how <laughs> sassy I can be in return. But just what's going on? There's usually emotions happening, and it's usually something that I'm not seeing. So mm -hmm. it's not about the paint color. That's not why they're getting upset. What's going on? What oh, I beg to I differ. <laughs> Kim, you're absolutely right. And if the person looks confused when you ask the question, you can follow that up with, I'm noticing these behaviors yep. and I'm not sure how to interpret them. And another great question is, how can I support you? Yes. Yeah. Excellent. That is a good one. Yeah, it's my favorite question. Whenever you gotta, someone... Yeah. I mean, at least talking to this sort of situation, you got to be at that level of caring first to ask that. But if you're thinking about that question, it might help you get to that level of caring about your household. Well, and you if you're, again, noticing behaviors is an extremely important part of this. Your partner very angrily washing dishes usually means something's going on. Asking how can I support you gives them the option and the opportunity to say, I need this. I need for you to dry the dishes. I need for you to have noticed that I was washing dishes and just come over and done it without me having to ask. Oh, yeah. We forgot to mention that's another big part of this emotional uh, labor of emotional labor is this is not like a key sign here. One of the pitfalls is what most people would refer to as nagging. So one partner having to constantly remind the other to do something if you're taking out the trash. If your partner is always asking you, hey, can you go take out the trash? Can you go take out the trash? You should have the self-awareness to just take out the trash. Do it before they ask. <laughs> Pay attention to the trash. Is it full? Take it out. 
It's not that hard. <laughs> Kim is looking away suspiciously. I hated taking out the trash. I hated pretty much every chore. So yeah. That's pretty much true. That is valid, but it doesn't change that it has to get done. That's correct. So, I mean, that's like a very, that plays into the like male incompetence thing, right? Like, oh, mm -hmm. I hate doing that. Well, you know what? You're an adult. Sorry. <laughs> you grew up. And so you got to take the trash out is the right. thing. And mm -hmm. oh, you wear clothes. So you're going to have to do laundry. That's uh, mm, it's a tough break. It's a real tough break. Or be wealthy enough to just constantly buy yourself new clothes. I don't know. I get worked up about this stuff, I guess. You know, so so how do you teach this? How do you get your kids doing this from the beginning? And the very first thing is you have to model this behavior and be appreciative of the household work that gets done, whomever does it. But just notice it. That is something that Don and Janice did for Kim and I. So that's probably why I think about it. And it's also something that um, Sarah's parents did. She tells a story, I think she'd be okay with me sharing this, that she has never had dinner with her family where like everybody's sitting down together where her dad didn't explicitly thank her mom for cooking dinner. Mm -hmm. No matter what, just she has always heard him say, thank you for making dinner. And mm -hmm. I, I think about that and I thank Sarah for making dinner because it's important to be grateful and to recognize the effort that goes into that. And to be verbal about the gratefulness in front of your children, if you want them to inherit that. Because yes. if you don't talk about it, if you don't behave in a particular way, they won't behave in a particular way. They're not mind readers, unless you have some like advanced mutant children. <laughs> Spooky also thanks me for his dinner every night. And you can also... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I know that I've done a little more driving this episode than I usually do. You can also build this in children through chores, have them help participate in the household, but not just that, the same kinds of things, expressing verbal gratitude and praise when the job is done and done well, and taking those opportunities to teach if the kid puts the trash bag in the little, what's it called? They have liners now. I don't know. If you put the trash bag in the bin wrong, show them, hey, I noticed you did exactly what we talked about, even with your spouse. The same kind of language applies to your child and they learn. Yeah, I actually, this is a dumb story. Hopefully everybody enjoys it. I was on TikTok the other day. Way too old for that. You're on TikTok? Of course I'm on TikTok. Wait, what? I'm on Boy, synth, I'm on synth talk. Thank you. <gasps> I post synth videos on TikTok. To I have no to one. follow you now. Oh God. So I'm on TikTok. And it shows you all kinds of crazy things all the time, which is very overwhelming for a now old person like me, I guess. <laughs> um, but I saw this video of this young woman. I mean, gosh, she may have been a teenager. I don't know. And she's like, I just learned today that I've been putting trash bags in wrong my entire life. And I was like, all right, I'm hooked. And so <laughs> I start watching this video and she takes out the trash bag. She's like, here's how I used to do it. And she did exactly what I have done for all 31 years of my life. She shook the bag really hard. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. I used to do this and terrorize our poor dog. I would chase him around that, which was really, I stopped. It was mean. I, I regret that. The poor animal never looked at a trash bag the same way. Anyway, you shake it all out and you stick it in the bin. You're done, right? Wrong. Apparently, the way they are rolled up, they are inside out. 
And if you look at the seams on the side of the bag, indeed, it looks like a t-shirt seam that's inside out. So you're supposed to like peel apart the top opening, kind of put that around the top of the bin and then push it through with your arm. So it goes into the bin, not inside out. Mm -hmm. I don't think it actually makes a difference to the functionality of the bag. So it kind of pisses me off that this is even a thing, but it was one of those great, like, oh, I learned a, a new way to do a thing that I've done for my entire life. That can be right both ways. You know, that maybe that's you and your spouse. Maybe you do the bags different. It's like when you put the fitted sheet onto your bed, does the seam go out or should the seam be in toward the bed? Why would you put the seam out? Why does it matter? I don't know. You might roll over it and it's uncomfortable or something. Maybe it's you're falling the off the bed. So, the I mean, bed. if you're rolling over on that corner, there's <laughs> something going on here. Well, maybe there's something going on in your bed. <laughs> maybe you're having a time. <laughs> and, and you don't and want those seams a... getting up in your business. <laughs> we are a G-rated show, man. This is all very G-rated. I'm not talking about anything. <laughs> Nothing at all. Oh, he's back to being the backseat driver. No, he's back to being the lawful good uh, do boy. Do you put the seams out on your fitted sheets? It doesn't matter. I'm just, I'm, I know, I'm just curious. Whatever direction my fitted sheets are in is the way it goes on the bed. That's now, I mean, true there is, for me too. We all agree that the, the bed is a rectangle, so there is only, I mean, I guess two ways that the fitted sheet can fit on the bed itself, right? Correct. You're not trying to stretch it the wrong way across no. the bed. Because no. mm -hmm. that ain't going to work for you. It's just, there are two sides to the sheet. Which yes. side is up? The one that exposes the the seam or the one that hides the seam? Well, that's the same for flat sheets as well, because people have that whole out. concept <laughs> of folding it back and like the little seam. Yeah. I've never solved that one for myself. Neither I can't I. decide. I think I do it where it just lays flat. I'm not trying to fold it back. I ain't that fancy. I'm sorry. All of those things are fine. It's just what will be true in your household. There will be sheets on the bed. Yeah. That's there will be it. sheets on the bed and all of it will be covered in cat fur forever and ever. Amen. So you guys might not believe this, but I have had couples in my office fighting about which way the toilet paper comes off the roll over well, the top or awesome. down by the wall. If you have a cat, you do it down by the wall. If you don't have a cat, it goes over the top because that's just how it, it's much easier to get to. And then it's the right way. It's just. Well, also, if you look at the diagrams of the person who invented the toilet paper roll, it's over the top. I, I get it. Oh, yes. the deep research. I like I, that. Oh, oh yes. But I, I got like into it with someone about that. I only like that because it validates my way. <laughs> so, and that's an Confirmation example. Confirmation bias. Yes. And being willing to accept influence. It doesn't really matter which way the toilet paper roll goes. It does not. It's a preference. I do find it less convenient towards the wall. Okay. That's because you have a preference. I do have a, I have a strong, I would say I have a strong preference. Sure. But recognize you grew up with it going over the top. Yep. It never went down the wall. Well, I think we... I would have flipped it if it had. Because you grew up with it. Right? No, I and like to believe this to be. is innate to my DNA. <laughs> Somewhere in my code, it says the toilet paper it must go over the top. Know well, this now. And we talk about what we have from childhood. I know at some point, Ben and I had a conversation about this, but the toothpaste, 
right? Mm -hmm. Of what toothpaste you used in childhood and what toothpaste do you use now? Oh, Um, this is because I read that article a million years ago about how toothpaste brand loyalty is like way more loyal than any other product ever invented. And I thought that was crazy. Well, and how does that blend into your household? Do you have shared toothpaste tube or do you guys end up getting two different toothpastes? Did I tell you all about my epic toothpaste saga? No. Oh, so we use the like Crest Paste Cavity Protection. Very normal land, nothing special about it. This is Sarah's extreme preference. I grew up, as did Kim, with AIM toothpaste. I think the gel kind, not the paste. 89 cent. That's correct. Now, I am a strange one in that I don't care about my toothpaste. Generally, I think the Crest one that Sarah loves is not that great. I don't feel like it gives me that fresh mouth, that like minty, clean freshness. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, I get it. So a few months ago, sometime during quarantine, I feel not that I'm out of quarantine, but I went on a rampage and I bought every different type of toothpaste I could find from like multiple stores because I was like, I'm going to solve this. What's the best toothpaste? I didn't solve it, friends. I I don't know. They were all fine. It didn't matter at all to me. I still don't care. I'm back to using the crest because that's what we have. And I don't care. What did you do with all that toothpaste? I used it. I used it. I mean, I didn't buy, I bought mostly like smaller size tubes and then I would Mm. just use one until it went out and then I'd go to the next one. And Sarah was like, you are a madman. This is (laughs) insanity. You're using different kinds of toothpaste like every couple weeks. That's crazy. Like, no, it's fine. Sometimes I would open like two and switch back and forth. Now that is I got to try There's the one that does like baking soda. Mm -hmm. I was not a fan of that. I mean, it is like grainy in your mouth. That's a bit Mm -hmm. much. The mouthfeel was wrong, I would say. Generally, I've gotten used to the paste ones now. I didn't used to like those, but now I'm used to it. So the gel ones feel kind of weird. And the best, I feel like the uh, Crest with Scope, I mean, it gives you that nice, like, cool freshness because of the scope. But also, you could maybe just use scope or Listerine or some something Are like that. Are we going to market this to to toothpaste companies? No, I just, at this I just point? want the listeners to know um, the level of my insanity. Well, we, we couldn't market it to the toothpaste companies because he said they're all the same. Because <laughs> I wrecked them all. True. This is the great scam. But that's, I, I mean, I, yeah, you see the toothpaste box that you grew up with and that's what you walk out of the store with. I actually use Aquafresh cavity and acid protection because I drink so much coffee. Fair enough. Did you ever, did you guys ever ask us why it is we use AIM? Why do we use cheap. AIM? <laughs> it's the least expensive, yeah. effective toothpaste out there. Is there a less cents. expensive, ineffective toothpaste? Oh, there's always ineffective stuff that's cheap. But this is effective. I mean, Kim, how many, when did you get a cavity? Uh Uh-oh. How dare you? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I still disagree. I don't think I actually have a cavity. Fair enough. That's right. You're 28 years old. I know. I don't have any cavities, but I don't use AIM anymore. Maybe I'm in danger. No, you also learned how to brush your teeth. I'm so angry. Was that aimed at Kim? No. Kim brushes her teeth really well. Well, she has a dispute about a cavity, but still going 28 years before (laughs) you. I like the idea of having a dispute about a cavity as if it's like some legal thing that you can argue in a court of law. No, sir, dentist. Uh, You do not have enough evidence against me to prove that I have a cavity. 
My issue with this is... Those x-rays are inadmissible in court, sir. (laughs) It is her health. My issue with this is I saw the dentist that I've been seeing my whole life in August. And I saw a new dentist because I got dental insurance like a whole adult. Now that's your mistake right there. I saw a new dentist and magically I now have three cavities. And that just seems a lot for someone who regularly brushes their teeth, at least flosses once a day. I'm not as crazy as mama. I don't floss twice a day. I use mouthwash. I disagree with this. And you go to the dentist every six months for a checkup. I like that in this episode, the listener will glean not only the depths of my toothpaste weirdness, but also Kim's intricate dental habits. I'm so angry. I even sent my x-rays to my old dentist to to get his opinion. So (laughs) we've talked for a long time. I'm going to have to trim this one down a bit. Yeah. But we had a good time. We went on a good ride. Make sure that you do things effectively in your life. And you communicate and you ask questions and you pay attention to things. I mean, I would say don't do them wrong, but I know that that's the the wrong way of saying it. (laughs) So (laughs) it's ineffective of me to tell people they're wrong. So do it the effective way. Because what I want people to go away with, the reason I use that is measure your behavior. Measure mm. the effect that you're having. Be the And if you're not having the effect that you want, change your behavior. You know, I agree with you, of course. I'm goofing. Mm-hmm. And that's a very succinct way of saying something fairly profound that I think, if our listeners are really thinking about it, is a way harder than it sounds. Yes. I mean, everything we talk about is way harder than it sounds. Good luck out there, folks. <laughs> it takes practice. And we try to reiterate that every episode of... This isn't going to happen overnight. You're not going to be able to magically develop these skills instantaneously. It takes years and years of practice and ongoing commitment to being up to date on that. Yep. Absolutely true. And it's helpful if you have a guide that's working with you. And you can get a guide at Azevedo Family Psychology. Papa stole the the plug. plug. (laughs) Bow, bow, bow. That is our episode about emotional labor, y'all. Hope that clarifies what we were talking about, what to watch out for in your relationships, and how to notice and balance the work in your household. We also briefly covered some ways to teach this to kids or roommates, partners, etc. And we had a higher than usual number of goofy stories. Thanks for listening, and until next time, enjoy the drive. Thank you for listening to The Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m. So don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azevedofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services, from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com 
or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back and may the sun shine warm upon your face. Thank you.